With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the On the Forecheck podcast, the official podcast of the Cali Yarncroke fan club, now accepting new members for the next two weeks or however long he's going to be this consistently good. Uh, I'm Nick Morgan from On the Forecheck, joined as always by the Pete Weber to my Terry Chris, Sean C. Smith. Sean? How you doing? Doing good. We also tonight uh, have a big supporter of Ryan Kessler's alma mater, uh, Bobby Mizey. Bobby, how's it going, my friend? You know, as a fellow former Buckeye like Ryan Kessler, I think both of uh, both Ryan and I would be uh, thrilled to acknowledge that uh, the Buckeyes were not actually part of this year's March Madness. Uh, we would like to exclude ourselves from this narrative. Well, if there's only some uh, verbal way you could get the word out, you know, like a way to orally get that word orally out, if me. you will. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody somebody named Robert uh, might need to hear that, too. Oh, you mean like uh, me? Since that's like obviously Bobby. Well, well, you're saying it. So you're you're the teller. You just need to tell another Robert. I'll tell my father he's also Robert. There we go. So he doesn't care one person went to Kentucky. Up. He's already sad enough. Oh boy, <laughs> that's uh, there goes half of our fan base that just turned off the podcast. Oh my god, right the now. guest's father went to Kentucky. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, this is Vols country. If Brian were on this podcast right now, he would have just resigned completely from. On the I mean, check. I'm I'm from Kentucky. Is that is that okay or? <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 more pro Kentucky. I don't understand I, the problem with Kentucky guys, or maybe you're just talking about UK itself. I think we're talking about Kentucky basketball during oh. the tournament. Oh yeah, that's that's something else. We'll yeah, I have no we'll dog in on. that fight. Uh, well, speaking of tournaments that teams have no business in being in. Uh, the NHL playoffs are around the corner and the Nashville Predators are in the NHL. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of been a, kind of been an interesting week for the Nashville Predators. Uh, they had arguably, and this is not hyperbole, maybe one of the worst games they've played in maybe the past five to 10 years. And the only reason it's probably not going to be remembered in history for that is because, again, no hyperbole, UC Saros might have played the best game of his career. Um, and then, of course, they follow that up with a wild come-from-behind overtime win against Dallas. And guess what, guys? You take a look at the NHL standings, the Predators are four points out of a playoff spot. Oh, boy. So, yep, you know where the topic of conversation has uh, gone to on this one. So obviously there's a, there's a lot of ways we can get into that point, but I'm just going to start with like a general question. And this is, you can make this 
whatever answer you want, like whatever angle you want to take on it. Does has your perspective regarding the team changed in any way in the past two weeks? Just any way, any aspect of this whole situation the Preds are in. So when you say any aspect, I mean, are you talking about specifically like what they should do with the rest of the season? Or do you mean how I think about the team? Any, anything, how, what they should do the rest of the season, the future of the team, how you think the prospect pool steps up, you know, are they contenders, blah, 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 whatever you want. Has any aspect of this changed? Yeah. So for me at the beginning of the season and even heading into the qualifying round, uh, after the uh, when we started the return to play, um, I remember Coach Hines really kind of saying that they wanted a culture shift in the team. And it looked like early on with the, I guess, the the youth movement that didn't happen, you were getting a lot of the veteran guys coming back who'd been on the Predators uh, combined with guys from other teams who were coming in kind of to fill some roles. And it seemed like they had a really hard time getting that culture built or finding that identity and that identity they were looking for was the, you know, the team that outworks every other team, the team that's willing to go into the the dirty areas and, and uh, play the hard minutes and get up against the boards and, and make things harder for the other team. And just being the team that never quits. And I don't think you really saw that until the last two weeks, in my opinion, uh, the, that game you were talking about, notwithstanding. But other than that, I, I really feel like even when the team was losing, you did see them trying to get the other team up against the boards and make everything difficult for them. Um, it didn't always have the results you wanted, but even on some of the nights where the team lost, you could at least stomach the loss and say, well, you know, at least they put up a solid effort the entire game. Um, so it seems interesting to me that that identity kind of comes when you get this large group of rookies coming in and playing to where I think the the framework is there, at least for what the coaches are trying to put into place. Um, but it seems to me that it didn't really take until you had some some fresh blood on the ice and not not the bad kind of blood on the ice, but, you know, young guys coming in and playing. No, Matthew Olivier caused blood. Well, that might not be the worst thing, but whatever. <laughs> Mountain justice. Mountain justice. Bobby, what's your what's uh, been your take on watching this team the past couple of weeks? Well, I've you know kind of been of the opinion for uh, the entirety of this season is you know I don't care if they win or lose. I, I I just don't. It makes no difference to me whatsoever. I just want to see young talent get out there and I want to see what they got right because this isn't a team like on paper. You look at this division, you know, at the start of the season, you're like this team's not. They're at best going to be like a four seed that's going to sneak into the playoffs and just get spanked by Tampa in the first round, um, which no debatable. I mean, Florida and Carolina look great too, but um, you know, this is a, it was a flawed roster from day one um, with a lot of problems that were never addressed over the past couple of years, looking at, straight at the power play. Um, but then you brought in all this infusion of young talent. Finally. I mean, it's not like, a ton of young talent. Obviously we're just basically talking about KA and uh, Tolvin in here. Um, but like, wow, look, you bring in two guys who have both kind of learned over the last couple of years, like what's expected of them from Carl Taylor to make that jump from Milwaukee to Nashville. So they get, they have to be hungry and they have to work their rears off if they want to make a difference. And uh, surprise, surprise, they do. Right. Um, it had been of my opinion for a long time that the Predators just kind of looked 
complacent out on the ice. Um, I'd say that's fair. And I've blamed a lot of that on the leadership group um, at various points in time for not getting angry when things go wrong, not getting fired up that like us against the world attitude, just kind of like, ah, oh, this isn't supposed to be happening. How could this possibly happen? Instead of just getting upset and being like, no, we're going to go out here and win this game. I haven't seen that fire, but it feels like since these young guys have been coming in and getting a lot more playing time, um, obviously, I mean, I've kind of talked about more than just the last week because I've been on since we talked about the reverse retro sweaters. Um, you know, good discussion. I, 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 great, great set of podcasts there. Um, seeing Tolvanen get out there and just playing the game the right way, it, immediately the impact he's had on this team, like what they're up to in the rough, roughly in the middle pack of the league and power play all of a sudden after being abysmal for the last three years. Um, you've been seeing Fabre or Fabro who's still like making some mistakes, but let's also not kid ourselves. He's very young and, but Carrie has also stepped in and he's gotten a lot of great playing time and has done a pretty good job as well. Um, I'm liking what I'm seeing from the young guys a lot. And that to me is more important than the wins or losses. Yes. The Predators went three and one this last week. That's great. Um, but the young guys are getting that playing time and they're playing well. And I think almost in a way that's rubbing off on maybe a little bit of the veterans. Um, I, specifically, I'm talk, referring to Ryan Johansson, who I thought had a phenomenal week. Oh, um, he's, he's been great. He's been one of the best players in the Preds ice really for the past week, I would say. Yeah, and I know I've been a very harsh critic of him in the past about, you know, because we all know he has that gear that he just, for whatever reason, doesn't reach. But he seems rejuvenated out there um, playing on a line with Tolvanen and is just uh, being more of that two-way player that he can be instead of just kind of a guy earning a paycheck. Seems like he's really making a difference out there, and that's great to see for the Predators. And it's interesting you brought that up because one of the points that I make when you're going through, you know, kind of a situation where you're bringing up more young talent and kind of relying on them like the Preds are for this stretch, it's not only to see how that young talent plays, but it's to see how your established guys play with that young talent. And like you said, like Ryan Johansson is somebody who I think has really stepped up his game playing with some of the new guys. Um uh, Matthias Eckholm, I mean, my goodness, what a stretch that he's had since coming back from injury. And, you know, we, we, when people like Yossi and Ellis went down, um, I, I think we expected a lot of really, really lean weeks ahead for the Predators, but Eckholm stepped up his game. Dante Fabro has been, you know, if the Preds had a most improved award, he'd, he'd win it hands down. I mean, he's he's not where he needs to be, obviously, but he's made a big jump. Um, but, I mean, like like I said, like one of the big reasons Carrier has been playing so well is because he's got Eckholm next to him and they're, they're complimenting each other so well. So that's what is a big boost in getting that youth in there right now is you can kind of maybe see the wheels turning a little bit and say, okay, this is a combination I can work with down the line. Obviously Matthias Eckholm situations going to be a little bit different, but you know, for the rest of the team, especially the forward core, you know, you can kind of look and formulate, okay, maybe this is going to be a line in, you know, a year or two. 
So from that aspect, I, I really like what I've seen um, chemistry-wise between the young players and some of the veteran players. And to, um, to rush to Favreau's defense as well. Um, obviously, Carrier is finally getting a shot in the NHL. He's 24. Uh, Favreau is still only 22. Like, oh, like for, for sure. Like, I, I, I don't think – because I think Predator – the fan base as a whole did the, to a point, to, to a certain extent, the same thing with Kevin Fiala is I don't think people understood quite how young some of these guys on Predator's roster are um, when they've been coming up. And maybe it's just because we've been um, adjusted to years of Barry Trotz just burying guys in Milwaukee forever. Um, but – Fabro is he's a young young guy to be a full-time defenseman on a second or first pairing now with the injuries in the NHL you know um what he's done is very impressive and sure is he what you would expect for maybe a, a guy on a second pairing yet not quite but he's 22 years old like what do you what do you want from the kid uh, right what? I'd like to add to what you're saying, Bobby, and I, I brought this up the other day on the radio, but it, it's interesting because there's certainly almost like an object permanence issue sometimes where, you know, Fabro's done all of his development, at least at the NHL level, at this higher level on TV. People have been at the games, they've seen it happen, they've watched. So every mistake gets gets microanalyzed and and just it it's the end of everything if he does something wrong. But what what they don't realize is that a lot of these other guys that are coming up now have been doing the same thing in Milwaukee and making their mistakes kind of under that little bit of a curtain where you're probably not seeing as many of the games, you're not hearing about you know, how their development's going. They just show up and like, oh, these guys look great. What's Favreau's problem? Well, there were games where they didn't look great in Milwaukee. You just didn't see it or hear about it, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And and I also think part of that is just kind of, you know, I don't want to be sound judgmental and say a cultural cultural problem, but I think it's just something with pro sports today. You know, you get that big prospect and, you know, they're, you, you think they're a home run, a blue chipper, and then they they get in the lineup and and they struggle right, right away and then the the calls for oh so and so is a bust. Sean, you and I talked about this. Ellie Tolvanen was you know a textbook example of that when he got I, I think what was it twenty eighteen when he first kind of started yeah. peeking into the lineup like yep. clearly was not ready. No, a lot of a lot of people were ready to pull the Ellie Tolvanen plug, say he's a bust, say he's you know never going to be more than a third liner in Milwaukee, and then God, look at look at him now. I mean, yeah. it's he's a a blue chip forward. In in 2018, you know it, he was he was still a boy and he was still an elite shooter, but that's pretty much all he was, and in that time in Milwaukee, when I when I did have the chance to talk to Carl Taylor. Something he made abundantly clear was that, you know, no matter where Tolvanen's been, no matter when he's been playing or how old he's been, he's always been an elite shooter. He's always going to be an elite shooter. But that time in Milwaukee gave him a chance to develop all these other aspects to his game that you're seeing now make him a complete player at the NHL level. And, you know, if you're if you judge him based off of those first few games when he was like 19, 18 years old. Um, yeah, he looks like a bust, but that's because he wasn't where he needed to be. He needed to be in Milwaukee. He needed to develop. And and that gave him the opportunity to grow into his body a little bit more, get his nutrition right, start putting on, 
you know, some muscle, adding some weight so he can play that different style of game. I mean, he's he's hitting guys big time every night. And you couldn't have asked him to do that in 2018. He would have gotten he would have gotten hurt really quick. He wasn't that big. Yeah. And I mean, even still, like the kid is 21 years old right now, only 21 years old. So back in 2018, when people are saying he's a bust like 19 year old kid. And he wasn't like a top three draft pick or anything like that either. And even those people like need time too. like remember Jesse Paul Jarvey needed time for Edmonton and even, you know, how about Pierre-Luc Dubois who didn't even play in the NHL, you know, right after being drafted third overall by the Blue Jackets, look where he is now. Um, you know, so I, I, it's just, it's just so silly that people expect kids to just jump right into the NHL right away. Just because I think, and this might segue into something else. Um, I think people look at teams like Toronto who like, Oh yeah, they got Mitch Marner jumping in right away. And Austin Matthews jumping in at such a young age. Like our, our guys can do that too. Right. It's like, well, no, because not everybody's a generational hockey player. Um, they only get a small handful of those. Like, right. And even like Jack Eichel spent spent a year at Boston university. Um, you know, they, 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 players take time to, come into their own and you know as long as you're not coming into your own at like age 26 or 27 you're probably fine you know and it's kind of what blake wheeler did though that's fair yeah i mean it just takes time for some people and that's not a problem i think obviously if you're first on draft pick there are the expectations that um and somebody with the hype that told him it did like oh yeah like he's gonna come to the nhl soon and but so much of that has played up, and I think you have to t- take a step back and just be realistic about, like, this is a 19-year-old kid. Like, how much should I r- really expect from him? And also, how much is it fair for me to, like, be judging me? Like, oh, this guy's entire career is going to be a bust because at 19 he wasn't good enough to, you know, crack an NHL roster. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and how, and how many players have we seen uh, struggle when they first get called up, struggle with their first team, get traded, find a, you know, kind of a new outlet and boom, all of a sudden you're a bona fide great player. Yeah. I mean, that's Rob- Robbie Fabry. Look at Fabry right now in Detroit. I mean, he's certainly looks like he's going to be a part of their rebuild going forward. Um, I mentioned Blake Wheeler. I mean, people were thinking he was a bust when he, you know, went back in the draft, went to Boston, that whole thing. Um, so I mean, it's it, it's there, there's obviously a lot of talent coming out of the draft, but it's up to teams and players to work together to figure out how to develop it, and that's something that I think the Preds. I don't want to say take their time, but they have shown in the past that they're more patient. They are ready to, you know, they would rather have somebody overripe maybe with the exception of Dante Fabro mm-hmm. and, you know, I bring that up because Dante Fabro skipped the AHL. The, the only, the only other person big time prospect in the last 15, 20 years, I can remember doing that is Seth Jones. Well, Craig Smith, I mean, Craig Smith too. Yes. Well, that, that was a huge deal when he did it. Cause he tore up training camp. Like it, he was like a, he was like the actual human rocket ship, unlike Ryan Ellis. Like he tore through training camp and everybody was just like very, there's no way, there's no way, there's zero chance you can keep Craig Smith off this roster. And he even still interviews, he was still like, eh, but. But it's also much harder for a defenseman than it is a Ford. Ford, you know, oh, you yeah. got 12 spots, each spot with a little bit of a different role. You know, defense is, you know, you're kind of being asked to do 
if not the same, very similar things. And, you know, look at that. Ryan Suter had a year um, with the Admirals. Granted, probably wouldn't have happened had the lockout not happened. But, you know, Shea Weber was back and forth his first NHL season between Milwaukee and Nashville. Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, everybody had time to kind of breathe and develop. Fabro didn't really get that. Well, yeah, unless if you're playing college hockey, you're not really playing against men unless you uh, happen to have a weekend series against Minnesota State. So, you know. <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll get to some college hockey talk here in a little bit. The conversation now has uh, kind of evolved into the trade deadline. Obviously, the Predators have been rumored to be um, one of the bigger players. Um, guys like Matthias Ekholm, Mikhail Granlund uh, have been mentioned around the league philip forsberg too but we're, we're gonna get into that one a little bit later um as far sean i'll ask you this first as far as trade deadline strategy goes it's what's uh, I, this is going to be a complicated discussion but if you're david Poyle right now after what you've seen the past two weeks what's your trade deadline strategy and not and not necessarily giving overall players away down the road but just heading into this stretch this year um well you know i'm not going to be a buyer how about that um i'm going to look more at can what can i get for the pieces i have that have value what is that value and i mean when i say the pieces i have that have value i, I mean specifically pieces that and I, it always, always sounds terrible when you start bringing names into it, but someone like Mikhail Granlin, for example, who you've got on a one year deal that expires at the end of the year, you know, right now you're going to lose him no matter what at the end of the year, I guarantee he's going to get a bigger contract somewhere else, especially after the way he's been playing. So you can either lose him for nothing because you're probably not going to turn around and pay him to stay. You've already let him go once, <laughs> right? So, you know, why not get something for him? And what can you get for him? And is it worth that? Is it worth losing him for the rest of the season? Because, I mean, we've seen that we have players on the team that can kind of step up and 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 play. So it's not, I mean, you're, you're probably not going to have a Mikhail Granlund down there in Milwaukee or Chicago. But um, using Granlund as the example, you know, you, you have to be able to say, is it worth making this trade now? Um, and a lot of the time, I mean, realistically, you're not going to be able to get anything for him after the season's over. So it's kind of silly to not make that trade. Um, I'm not saying sell everyone off that you can, but I do think it's silly to not try to take advantage of a market where you're being courted by people who want to buy and have things that they can give you in exchange that are worth taking, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think. I always go back and forth on this. I, I think that in general saying that it, it's bad to say that a team is a seller because the Predators should be buying, but the thing is they need to be buying value in terms of like value prospects and value picks, not just selling guys for whatever they can possibly get. Um, obviously guys like Mikel Granulund, who's gone at the end of the year, you know, thank him for his time and service and send him on his way. Um, but you should be still looking at, Kel Granlin is a valuable piece that has intrinsic value to him. And you want to purchase the best possible thing. You want to buy the best possible thing that you can with your shiny little Mikel Granlin. Um, so 
I want the Predators to aggressively pursue blue chip prospects and ideally first round picks that aren't going to be just late in the first round. Um, I, I don't think those, if you look at historically, there's like, in terms of the value of player and their production in the NHL and where they're drafted in the first round, it's exponentially, it's an exponential decline from the first overall pick. Um, guys who are drafted like 28th, 25th are much more closer to the, to a middling second round pick than a guy who's in the top 15, significantly closer. So that's why I want to see the Predators kind of looking more at prospects that other teams have uh, that are developing well and being like, okay, I want to, I want to go buy you guys. I don't want to go just like sell whoever for a late first round draft pick that might be a middle six forward one day. You know, I'd rather see them go out and try and maybe not get as much in return for the guys that they have on the roster, um, but get people with higher value because I think that is what would help accelerate the Predators. I mean, and I won't call it a rebuild. I'd say retooling process, I think, to get back to where they need to be. I don't think they need a full rebuild. Um, if they need a full rebuild, then yeah, you have to get like a full roster, right? But they, they've got a lot of good places. Pace, uh, they have a lot of good pieces in place. So now it's just looking, well, for the future, where can we find a couple of maybe one or two guys who could be impact players for us down the road? And I think the Predators need to buy those guys. So I don't view them as just sellers getting rid of whatever they can for anything they can get. I think they should be actively buying pieces that can contribute in one to two years. It sounds like you're advocating for another Martin E. Rat, Philip Forsberg trade. Well, unfortunately those, uh, <laughs> those come once in a blue moon here in the NHL, but um, I wouldn't say no. Speaking of George McPhee though, we, you also have the expansion draft coming up this summer. And that's something that I think, and we've had some debates on this in the past, but to me, I think the expansion draft is something that also wreaks havoc on a trade market, especially right now. So, you know, take Matthias Eckholm, for example, somebody with term left, you can, you can trade him and somebody's definitely going to want to get him at the deadline. But there's also a bunch of teams out there that are worried about, okay, is he somebody we're going to have to protect if we protect him are we going to lose somebody else? Uh, this and that. What's our roster going to look like? Who they're going to pick? And so I think there's a lot of teams that are hesitant to make a more of a hockey trade like that, as opposed to like a rental player, like a Mikhail Granlund or Nick Cousins. So as far as big deals, I don't think we're going to see anything, you know, of course, as soon as I say this, it's going to happen tomorrow. But I, I really don't think we're going to see a Matthias Ekholm or a Philip Forsberg or, you know, whatever player with big money left on his deal. I don't think we're going to see something like that till this summer, if it happens at all. Um, but But you're right. I think the Preds do have a few pieces that you can actively shop knowing they're probably not going to be back next year and just see if there's a team that's willing to, you know, give up an established AHL or, or, you know, an, uh, an up and coming young player for one year of Mikhail Granlund. I mean, Hey, Mikhail Granlund is a great player and he might be a missing piece for a team. That's a winger short of going to the cup and then losing that young player is worth it. 
You raise some interesting points about the expansion draft. I mean, there's also obviously the what has been, I guess, more talk, heavily talked about is the fact that there's a flat cap, and that that's also not changing. Either, right, which makes it yeah. It also just makes it harder for teams to make those moves uh, for people with term left on their deals. With Matthias Ekholm, man, he just adds so much value, especially like even against his current contract that. I think teams will be lining up to get him. And teams are always trying to add a veteran defenseman. Um, it seems like at the trade deadline, the hottest commodities are always veteran defensemen and big, tall centers who stand in front of the net. Um, <laughs> and I mean, Matthias Ekholm, he's, gonna, he's attracting a lot of interest for good reason. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved. Philip Forsberg is such an integral part of this Predators team. And it, when you look to the future, he's one of the two players, him and Roman Yossi, that you look past next year and you're like, this is somebody who this team should be structured around. And right. You don't trade when, those guys unless you don't trade them, but at the same time, well, you don't that, trade them unless they're like gone. Like they're done. So like, they're like, I am out. Like, see ya. I hate hot chicken. It was all a lie. Um, also donut den terrible. I'm out. Then you're like, okay, yeah, screw you. Phil Forsberg. Get the hell out of Nashville. Right. Um, I don't think right, that's but that's but that but that's the thing is, do you try to keep Philip Forsberg, you know, throughout all next year? Maybe take him on a playoff run, risk a Ryan Suter situation where he winds up leaving for nothing, or if there's a team out there that says, "Hey, you know, I know he's got another year left on your deal, and I know you want to keep him, but look at we have two first rounders, we have a." prospect that's doing gangbusters in the ahl right now we have this young guy who just made his debut and he's already on the top defensive pair you know if that's the deal on the table is that not in david poyle's best interest to be at least look and say okay what's realistically the chance phil forsberg's gonna be beyond here because if there's you know if it's 50 50 you know i might have to go out and look at making a trade if you got if David Poyle had an offer on his table and it was something like four first round draft picks for Phil Forsberg, you think you would pull it? You think you'd do it? Would you consider it? I would. I would. Yeah. Well, then why isn't Shea Weber in Philadelphia? I don't think I don't think he could have afforded to lose Shea Weber that year. So why can we afford to lose Philip Forsberg? It's a different I year. Mean, I mean, it's a good counterpoint. Point is, the Predators have never had an offensive player with that caliber of skill like philip forsberg just never they've never had a forward like him okay i guess paul Correa for that very brief period of time but somebody who's been a predator um you know his entire nhl career um obviously he was drafted by the capitals but he never played for them so i gotta say that um you know a guy who's very much become a face of this forward group and he's how do you trade a guy like that who is so head and shoulders above the like everyone else is the best talent you've grown in your organization as a forward. So you're saying that a Philip Forsberg in the hand is worth two in the AHL. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I, I certainly agree. I think the predators do whatever they can to try to keep them, try to convince them, Hey, you're a central part of this. We want you here, but people also forget at the end of the day, it's his choice. Yeah. Well, my my question is how many players on your roster can you conceivably pay eight or nine million dollars a year? 
that's the problem is they're paying the wrong guys that kind of money. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's certainly not. So if you're, so I guess my counterpoint to that would be like, okay, if you're paying a bunch of guys eight to $9 million a year, why don't you try and do something about the ones that like, right. If you're keeping the guys who are underperforming, but then saying the guy who actually deserves it, like, Oh no, actually like you're, we're going to kick you to the curb. Um, but, but, here, <laughs> but yeah oh of course not but if you're an nhl team right now are you trading for matt duchene nope. with that contract no. nope you know you may be willing to trade for him but you're not getting the deal that preds twitter thinks you're going to get for matt duchene which is a pick first round pick and a couple prospects i mean you're you're giving up an asset probably for somebody to take that contract or you're at least you eating do. a lot of cap Yep. Yes. Well, this has uh, brought me to a topic of conversation that kind of bothered me on Twitter. So obviously we're talking rebuild or retool, as Bobby said. Uh, either either way, there's going to be some players moved and the, the youth is going to get promoted, whatever way you want to call that. Um a lot of people think it's time to quote unquote tank. Now we're going to get into exactly what we think tanking means in a little bit, but here's the problem that I had last night. The predators got a very, very good win. They were down three, one and they fought back played this. This was one of their better games of the year. I mean, I know they started a little bit slow, but the way they battled back, um, this is one of the best performances of the year. A very hard-fought win. Um, Bobby, all the things that you mentioned earlier about wanting to see, you saw it. The young guys stepped up. Absolutely. Players like Ryan Johansson like, played very, very well. A guy on a big contract playing very, very well. This should be the type of performance Preds fans want. Preds fans loved. So I go online, and what do I see? I see a lot of people actively angry at the Nashville Predators winning a hockey game. Actively angry. And this is coming from, you know, I'm not going to name names, but there are some notable people in the fan base kind of condescendingly tweeting out all these like stuff about, you know, you shouldn't want the Predators to win. The Predators winning is the worst thing that could happen to the team. You know, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to get into the playoffs and blah, 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 blah. And that it, that irks me as a fan, first off. I mean, I know I cover the team, but that irks me as a fan because it, it doesn't matter what state your franchise is in. You could be going through a rebuild. You could be 20-0-1 on the year. You could be a cup champ. It doesn't matter what state your team is in. You should always want your team to win. Now, I think that's it's and I want to make it clear. I'm not advocating against a rebuild. As we all said earlier, I think a rebuild is needed. But that doesn't mean you have to go out and actively be angry when the Predators, especially the Predators, young players go out and get a win like that. That's what irks me. And there's been, I, I, I've mentioned something um, on the internet today 
you know, kind of about my feelings on that being like, I, I don't think real fans actively cheer for their team to lose. I, I that's, that's just my mentality. I don't think if you're a real fan of the team, you should want your team to be bad. You, you might need to accept that there's going to be a rebuild and there's going to be some of your favorite players given away and younger players come in. That's, that's fine, but you still want to cheer for your players. So like, but, but I got a lot of pushback on that. Like I got a lot of, Oh, well, you know, they don't want their team to win because, you know, they, they think, you know, winning and, and having a good record will just keep him in purgatory or, or David Poyle's not going to pull the trigger. It's whatever. Like you're, you're not in charge of the front office decisions. Me, Bobby, Sean, we have no say what goes on in David Poyle's office. Yo, I wish dude. I, I wish I did too. There'd be a lot of changes being made, but, but I don't, I don't have that power. Well, let me save and, you from the internet real quick. Those are, those are fans that we're saying you know like you can be a fan and root for your team to lose you're just an idiot because you don't know how bad the draft is this year <laughs> if you knew how bad the draft is this year you would not be rooting for the predators to lose back to you <laughs> right but but even in, in a good year like let's say that it's like the the connor mcdavid year connor mcdavid jack eichel except i think that was a little bit different uh because okay well Let's scratch that. Let's say Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel in the three team lottery year. How about that? There's no, if, if you tank, if you're the predators and you tank, there's still no guarantee. You're going to get that once in generational talent, like the way the lottery is set up. And I know there's going to be some changes coming up. That's going to, you know, maybe help some of the worst teams in the league. Um, and maybe keep, you know, the New York Rangers from jumping from like the 16th best record in the NHL to the number one overall pick every summer. But that's, you can want a rebuild, but there's tanking to me is just, it, it's not, it's not fun. Tanking to me is actively wanting your team to lose and putting out players to guarantee you're going to lose the game. That to me is what tanking is. I mean, does anybody disagree that that's what they think of when they think of tanking is actively trying to lose. That, that when I hear tanking, that's what I would think would be doing everything within your power to force your team's hand into not winning. Yeah, I mean, there are levels to it. Um, like the, there's obviously like the very, very heavy tank, um, of just completely gutting a roster. Um, but I mean, the fact is any NHL or that anybody playing in the NHL that steps out on the ice on any given night is going to play like they want to remain in the NHL and that they know that they have a very great job. That's probably their dream since they were a kid to be an NHLer, right? Um, so I, I think it's hard to, I don't think you could ever say like the players are trying to lose or, you know, anything like that, but definitely from a management side. Um, yeah, there's certain things you can do. You can have a head coach that you think maybe isn't that great, but he's only going to be around for a couple of years. And then we bring in the real guy, right? Um, that's a pretty common tactic in the NHL. It seems, um, 
obviously selling your guys off, selling your starting lineup off. Um, another common tactic, obviously. Um, but there are certain degrees to that, and I think in terms of uh, this is obviously where the conversation is probably end up going. The, what the predators are do, doing or should do, um, you know, I don't think they. This is a team that should be selling everything off, uh, and like trying to actively. I guess from management side, do everything they can to lose. Um, well, I mean, doing everything they can to lose, probably a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's an overdramatization. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. Sure. But I, th- I think you kind of have to deal with extremes in this though, is that, you know, when you're, when you're talking about tanking, you know, yeah, there are different levels, like you said, but I guess for me, predators don't, I mean, let's just say this. It is, I don't think it's a fan base that is going to deal well with an outright tank, even if they think that the rewards they're going to reap because of it aren't what they think they're going to be. I think people get really tired of losing very quickly. Um, I don't think, and and just from experience with looking at say, even our readership numbers, you know, when the team doesn't do well, people don't read about the team. Um, When the team does well, or when there's something going on worth talking about, people want to read about the team. And I think you could, translate that directly into people watching it on TV, people going to the games and things like that. So, you know, tanking, in my opinion, in any form at this point is kind of a bad idea, especially considering the fact that the draft class isn't very deep, nor are the top contenders generational talents. So I, I, I think bad idea, don't do it. And, and like you said, maybe don't sell off the entire team and you know, try to try to get some good prospects back. So you're not looking at draft picks that may turn into something, but looking at players that you'll know in a year or two, whether or not they will be something you can have on your team that'll pr- help produce results on ice. And that's the other thing too. Like it's not, it's not even just this draft class, right? Because tanking, if you're selling off like the majority of your team or like a lot of your best assets, that's a, it's not a one to two year turnaround, right? Oh, no. we're, we're talking like, I mean, you know, here we go. I've got, I've got the NHL standing spot. Let me go through team, just a list of teams that have been tank. It's so, so like, so to speak, tanking in recent years and tell me how close you think they are to a Stanley cup, Chicago. How close do you think they're you think they're close to a cup? No, no. Detroit. You think Detroit's close to a cup? No, <laughs> I can, I, I can personally vouch that Detroit's not close to a cup. Buffalo. I mean, I'm next. New Good Jersey. God. No. <laughs> New, Jer- New Jersey, no. Uh, actually, here, here's one that's on the up, I, but not still has a long way to go if you look at their defense. Uh, the Rangers. Yeah, they're, they're still. They're, no. Of, of the teams that you mentioned so far, they're the closest, but they also are a couple of major pieces away. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if we even want to say San Jose is tanking or not because they have they can't sell any of their assets. <laughs> Well, it was also Eric Carlson came out and basically said, like, the hell you're going to tank while I'm here. Yeah. Uh, uh, it doesn't Ottawa. seem to be working. <laughs> Not even close. Uh, oh, Ottawa's, I would say Ottawa's closer than San Jose at this point. Yeah, right. Or if not, not maybe not closer, but moving closer to the right direction. Yeah. Uh, Vancouver. No. Uh, here, here we'll go. Like L.A. and Anaheim, they both have great prospect pools, but 
They haven't they haven't proven anybody yet. Yeah. Um obviously the remaining teams that I, I did not mention that people are probably pointing to as examples are Toronto and Edmonton. Yeah, but Toronto hasn't won a playoff series since the first lockout. And and, and Edmonton is despite having maybe the best once in a generational player in the league right now since Sidney Crosby came out and another guy who's maybe top five best players in the league right now, they're still probably not as close to a Stanley cup as some other teams in their own division. Yeah. And then lastly, um, obviously I've been saving the good teams for last Colorado, Colorado. Yeah. But they also, had other stuff besides tanking. They made some very, very smart trades. And yeah. kudos to them, which accelerated their process. But I guess, the, I guess the general point I'm trying to make here is even if you look at teams that have rebuilt and won a cup, and I guess the prime example which I'm going to use for this is Tampa Bay. They won a cup in 04 under John Tortorella. People forget John Tortorella, Stanley Cup uh, champion coach. Um, he's still not that great nowadays, but anyways. Um <laughs> Tampa Bay won a cup and they had to go through a rebuild afterwards. And they, everybody thought they hit the lottery with some Steven Stamkos kid back in the day. Right. Well, after they won a cup in 04, they had the lockout. People, people, their team started to fall apart. So it took them until 2020 to win a Stanley cup again after going through a rebuild. Like we're talking like a 12-year rebuild through Tampa Bay to get them back to winning a Stanley Cup. Now, you could argue in 2015 they were a better team than Chicago in the Stanley Cup final and should have won a cup but didn't. Um, But it's like you don't just immediately rebuild, turn around three years later, and compete for a Stanley Cup. And I agree with you wholeheartedly, Nick, that this fan base cannot deal with the tank because they can't deal with – Two and a half years of Dante Fabro. <laughs> like, what? You can't let some defenseman who's 22 years old develop? And what? You're gonna, all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, yeah, all these 19-year-old kids that we're going to draft with these late first-round draft picks from selling everybody off. Uh, yeah, they're all going to be, like, freaking NHL superstars in three years. Like, what? Who are we kidding? What kind of they're moronic for Peter. thinking is that? It's so dumb. Like, you, if you tank, you are signing up for probably at least a four-year journey back to being a respectable hockey team. And by respectable, I mean, like, okay, yeah, you can make the playoffs. And, like, you know what? People, like, opponents probably, like, actually, like, nod their head. And they're like, oh, okay, they're on the schedule. Um, you know, and if you're talking to getting back to being contender, like, I mean, you – Look at all of those teams that we've listed. Like even the Oilers, who have the greatest player I've ever watched play hockey, other than you know, I, I guess I saw Wayne Gretzky back when he you know played the Predators back in '98. Um, that one but, glorious uh, seven goal game. Yeah, but he, he wasn't like the force on ice that like when you watch Connor McDavid right now, he, like he is the greatest like force I have seen at in his any prime. specific time unleashed on the hockey universe. And the Oilers are still, like, kind of a joke. Like, they're second in their division, and they're a joke. Because, like, like you look at their defense, you look at their goaltending, it's like, oh, wow, they still haven't addressed, like, literally anything. Any of their actual problems they've had, they're still, like... And you look at Buffalo, like, what the hell have they done, right? Detroit, oh, my God. Um, 
you just go up and down. So many teams try to rebuild, and the fact that only Colorado, only Colorado has been able to do it right is such a credit not to the tanking process and not to the rebuilding process, but to just Joe Sack as GM. Hats off to you. Doesn't prove anything about tanking. That one team has done it well and has, you know, put themselves in the position they are now. Um, you don't like that. They're an example of a team. Obviously, they got Nathan McKinnon, a generational talent, but you don't just luck into generational talent. You still need people around you. Otherwise, Buffalo would not be the dumpster fire that it still is. So, if you are you think, saying Jeff Skinner is not worth nine million dollars a year? I. Anytime I feel bad about Matthew Shane or Ryan Johansson, I look at the Jeff Skinner contract <laughs> and just like sip a nice long all or Baltimore. Just makes life so much better. Um, yeah. But I mean, like the the idea that tanking is going to work with the Predators fan base is laughable. Uh, very laughable to me. I find that extremely funny. Do you also think it's a case of? fans really romanticize what tanking is oh yeah when you listen to all these fans about a rebuild it's always best case scenario just just try to lose get the first overall pick trade so-and-so for another first round pick get all these franchise players and next year roman yossi and all these up-and-coming young rookies are going to lift the stanley cup and they're going to be a dynasty I mean, it, it, but it's like, it's, it's that it's like when, when fans envision like tanking or rebuilding, it's always the best luck scenario all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like everybody pays off. Every player you trade is going to yield a wild, ungodly return. And that's just not how it works. I mean, take it from somebody who follows the Detroit Red Wings pretty regularly. I mean, not to mention the lottery luck is just by my God, like, but, but, but that's, that's another thing I think with the fan base too, as I think there is a, you know, a, a, a naive sense of we're, we're going to, everything is going to go according to plan. And that's it. It's just, it doesn't, you know, and kind of to, put a bow on this, you know, Bobby, you, you kind of alluded to, you don't really know what you're going to get when you start entering the tank. But once you start trading, it's like a point of no return. There's no guarantee how soon the predators are going to be back into a respectable contender status. Mm-hmm. Like we, you don't know. I mean, this could be a, you know, a 2007, 2008 situation, which I would argue wasn't even really a full rebuild. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden you're back in, in the playoffs in two years and have a better team than before. You know, that could happen. You could also wind up like, you know, Carolina after their cup win in 06 or Buffalo or or Arizona. You know, you can trade your franchise players and then spend the next 10, 15 years spinning your tires. Yeah. I think people don't, especially uh, like when you look at the worst case scenarios, those happen a lot more often than the best case scenarios. Um, and I forget who it was recently. I think it was Elliot Friedman. He brought up a very good point about Buffalo. Um, that has me, you, I think there are actually similarities you can draw to the Predators. With the firing of Ralph Kruger, uh, I, I think it was, I, mean, I think it's Friedman. If I'm wrong, you know, feel free to correct me. 
um, if we publish it and I'm wrong, internet, feel free to correct me. Um, he said like, who in the Buffalo organization has experience? And this is something you're looking at if David Poyle leaves this summer or is fired. Um, if you're just promoting somebody, it's going to be their first GM job. You have somebody who's a first-time GM going to an expansion draft, who's tasked with a rebuild, with, unless they make a coaching change, John Hines, who also is not that experienced of a coach. Um, I think this is a very dangerous future that the Predators could potentially find themselves in if they go like off the board in terms of general managers um, or don't renew David Poyle's contract if, they, if he doesn't retire or leave or be fired or whatever have you. Um, I, th- I think the, the reality is if you go into a full rebuild, and that's why I'm glad you mentioned like, oh, wait, because like that was a very like surprisingly quick retool especially considering all the other things happening with the club potentially moving to Hamilton. Well, and also you also have a experienced Shea Weber and experienced Ryan Suter to kind of lean on. Right. You don't have, uh, like you've got Roman Yossi, I guess, and Pecorino is going to be gone too. You're not going to be leaning on him. Yeah, but but the Preds had their future core already in 08. Yeah. Like they, they didn't have to actively rebuild their foundation. They had the foundation. They just needed the players around it. Which is the problem now, is that the foundation that the Predators have could... Well, they've got Roman Yossi. Great. Um, Ryan Ellis, you know, if you want him to be part of the future, great. If you don't, okay, make sure you get something you can for him. I don't think you could move him in a flat cap era with a term on his contract, but, you know, good luck doing so. Um, so you've got those two, I suppose. But then you look at the rest of your foundation, you got Johansson and Duchesne, just these monoliths of $8 million that don't produce $8 million worth of hockey. Um, and then Philip Forsberg, who could be gone after next year, right? And obviously you do your best to keep them around, but um, I, I think the task is a lot harder this time um, because of the flat cap and having to figure out how on earth you reconstruct a roster around uh, those contracts of Duchesne and for and uh, Johansson. It's not an enviable situation. Um you know, so if the Predators end up going around, we end up with a first time or like very still fresh second time general manager having to deal with all this and with an expansion draft. And oh man, it's um, I mean, considering how much some of these young GMs got fleeced last time, too. I mean, yeah, it's just a very, you know, granted, old, old man GMs make plenty of mistakes, too. Like, I know we've got a whole laundry list of peter shirelli gaffes but um, <laughs> i it's just a very tall task and you know i don't know I, I i i just feel like the worst case scenario is always in a tank more likely than the best case scenario um but in the situation the predators are in there's it's so easy i feel like for the front office to make a mistake and it's not a situation where it is going to be easy to be patient, wait for a good offer, wait to find the right moment to regear. And there's just not going to be that oh that you're not going to be able to be patient. And that's a real problem for who, however whoever reconstructs this team. That's why I think it's more likely that 
you know, this team is more likely, if you go full rebuild, you're more likely to be a Buffalo than a Toronto. And, you know, to kind of put a bow on this, uh, as we need to move on to other topics, but kind of putting a final bow on this, you know, people talk about, well, look what's happening in Toronto. For every Austin Matthews they've drafted, they've drafted three Tyler Biggs or Stuart Percy's. In, in Edmonton, every Connor McDavid they've drafted, they've drafted three uh, Nail Yakupovs. Yeah, like it's it's a process, and it's not going to be an overnight process. But like I said, we do have a lot of stuff we still need to get to, in uh, including a Predators mailbag. Uh, but first, as we go to break, we will have a little Preds trivia for you. Uh, because it is trade season. We're talking trades. One Predators player has had the dubious distinction of being traded away from the Predators twice. Traded, the key word there. Guys, think about it. Give me your answers after the break. Welcome back to the On the Forecheck podcast. As we went to break, I asked you who was the only Predators player to be traded away from the team twice. Any guesses, gents? No. Uh, Dan Hamleys. No, but he is a former first round defenseman. I'm talking, of course, about Mr. Ryan Parent. <laughs> okay. He was traded to Philadelphia in 07 as part of the Peter Forsberg deal. Uh, he actually came back to Nashville, but his first summer back before he played an official NHL game. He was traded away again to Vancouver for Shane O'Brien. Huh. And that that is a deal that absolutely worked actually great for Nashville because Shane O'Brien had a really good one season for Nashville. Um, got them probably, at the time, their best playoff showing ever. I cannot Ryan... recall the last time I thought, a senium thought about Shane O'Brien. It was coming up with this question for me. <laughs> I don't know. When was the last time anybody thought about Ryan Parent? Uh, even further beyond, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> hey, he got the Flyers pretty close to a Stanley Cup. He was like good. He was a pretty decent player everywhere he played except Nashville. And then just like could never, some, for some reason, never break into the lineup. Hmm. Who would have thought? Um. All right. Well, we have uh, some questions from the fans here, but first, uh, Let's talk about college hockey. Oh, uh, Bobby, I know this is uh, your milk and honey over here. A big college hockey fan. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as some of you listeners may know, because um, I haven't made it a secret in the past. So, um, I'm from Milwaukee, um, which everybody says like, oh, you're a Predators fan because the Admirals. And it's like, no, because literally nobody in Wisconsin cares about the Admirals. Um, literally nobody. The only time people cared about the Admirals is when Ryan Suter played on them, and that's because, ding, he was a Wisconsin Badger. Wisconsin Badger hockey is king in Wisconsin. I grew up with it. Um, and, you know, so many Badgers have become Predators over the years. Um, obviously, most recently, Craig Smith and Kyle Turris. Um, but, I mean, it, so Badger hockey and college hockey is what I grew up on as my bread and butter. 
And uh, if your college college basketball bracket is ruined because some school named Oral Roberts apparently exists, um, <laughs> uscho.com has a college hockey bracket challenge that you can sign up for now until 12 p.m. on March 26th, which is when the first games begin. That is Friday at noon. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. Uh, so the women's Frozen Four happened last week. The Badgers won. Um, God, what a... What, what a wild ending for that game! Yeah, like what a what a horrible way, you know, to lose a title game. Yeah, yeah, that was rough. But at least it wasn't in a shootout, unlike Olympic women's hockey. Um, or Olympic well, the last the last time that happened, it worked out for USA. So that one, it still didn't count. It was better. a tie in my mind. Uh, it, it felt I felt dirty. It felt like you know getting away with you know lying to your mom about hiding a Game Boy under your bed when you're supposed to be taking a nap as a kid growing up. It didn't really you know you got away with it. You got the gold medal, but like you know, it, it, did it really count? Um, obviously, it does really count, but it just it's just a bad way to determine a gold medal final. So, Bobby, for Preds fans who may not be as in-depth to college hockey as they are in the pros, um, what teams in this tournament should the Predators fan base be really keyed in on? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is if you're watching college hockey for the first time, it's hockey in its best form. It really is. Um, There's something great about seeing the kids going out there representing their universities. And if you – you know, enjoy the atmosphere in Bridgestone Arena. Obviously, people talk about the SEC fan culture kind of bleeding in to Predators games and how the fan base represents that. I mean, college hockey is the same way. Like every, you go into any barn um, that a college hockey team plays in, and you get fans doing the same stuff, um, all sorts of their own individual chants and things that they'll do after goals being scored, power plays, you know, so on and so forth. It's a great atmosphere. Um, and if you want to watch, just before we get into teams with Predators prospects, just really fun hockey um, that will have you on the edge of your seat. There are definitely some teams that you should keep an eye out for. Uh, first team, I'm just going through kind of how they're listed right now. Um, a lot of Big Ten teams are exciting. Michigan um, has one of the more wild teams I've seen in recent years in terms of they're like the most talented team that can only put it all together once every five games. But they're still so good that they're a number two seed in the tournament. Um, so they're a team that, like, if they're able to put it together for four straight games, they can easily win a national championship. But it'll be kind of fun to see, are they able to actually do that? Another really fun team to watch, also from the Big Ten, obviously, uh, the Badgers. So Wisconsin is one of my favorite pieces of hockey trivia. Um, the Badgers are one of three schools to send both their men and women's teams to a frozen four in the same year. The other two schools, Boston College and Ohio State. Wisconsin can do that again this year. Obviously, their women won the frozen four. Um, and Wisconsin is led by Cole Caulfield, who if you watch World Juniors at all, um, you should know who he is. He's far and away the best player in college hockey this year and also hails from Stevens Point, Wisconsin. So he's a homegrown kid, um, utterly electric, and just makes Wisconsin a very fun team to watch. Uh, I think the last real fun team that Predator fans should probably watch out for is also a team with a great Predators prospect, and that's Boston University with, uh, obviously, David Ferentz, um leading their defense core. Um, because they're a team that didn't play a lot of games due to COVID. And it was kind of interesting heading down into the last couple of weeks as to where they would land. They would make the tournament at all because they've been playing great hockey, 
or just didn't have that many games. Uh, they make the tournament, and they're playing St. Cloud in the first round. And David Ferentz has been just the best defenseman in college hockey this season. He has. And so you got to watch a Predators prospect who is the best player in his position in his league uh, playing in a tournament format. So I think Boston University is another great team that Predator fans should keep an eye out for. So who's your pick? Give me your pick uh, to win it all. Oh, man. Um, it, it's always tough to tell because every year you get some small schools from smaller conferences that will come out of nowhere and upset someone. Like a couple of years ago, St. Cloud State was a one seed. Top overall seed in the tournament, utterly dominant team in the regular season. AIC, you know what AIC stands for? Have you ever heard of AIC, either of you? American International. Yeah, it, they come out of nowhere as a 16 seed and upset. You know, they pull the 16 versus one upset classic, you know, which obviously there are only 16 teams in the tournament. Um, but there are always those small schools that tend to come out of nowhere and surprise you. Um, interestingly enough, I think, I think Wisconsin has a pretty decent path to the finals. If they can get past Bemidji State in the first round, that's a one seed versus a four seed, but Bemidji, Bemidji State is a very frightening four seed with a great goaltender. Um, so that'll be hard to see as well, or interesting to see as well. North Dakota is probably the other big favorite that people are looking to. Um, they had a wagon of a team last year that people thought were going to win a national championship and their entire top line returned. Um, so they entered the tournament as the official number one overall seed. Uh, but the problem is in the second round, first off, they play pesky AIC in the first round, um, playing that same underdog role. And then in the second round, they're going to play either Minnesota, Duluth, or Michigan, which is not who they want to be going up against. Um, so it'll be really tough for them. Uh, but I I think when you look at the teams that have the best shot at making some noise, I think you look at North, uh, North Dakota and Wisconsin. Well, it should be fun to watch. Uh, first game is coming up here on Friday, I do believe. Uh, so, again, like Bobby said, college hockey is extremely fun. Um, I myself have gotten the chance to go to some Miami University games, and that is a that is an atmosphere, although it's a little bit dead here recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it's great it's great to watch. Uh, tune in if you can. And if you enjoy watching college hockey pure blood schools, like the royalty of college hockey, this is the first time in history that all five Minnesota schools have made the tournament. University of Minnesota, St. Cloud State, Minnesota State, Bemidji State, and Minnesota Duluth have all made the tournament this year. Furthermore, another fun storyline is that in the same regional, playing different teams in the first round, you have Boston College and Boston University. So they could be, if both of them win their games, they will play each other that famed Boston College, Boston University rivalry for a spot in the Frozen Four. Um, so there's some really cool storylines this year. Um, and, you know, as always, it just, it's a great tournament regardless and just provides a lot of great hockey. All right. Well, earlier today, we uh, opened up the Predators mailbag. Uh, we asked you to send in some of your questions for us to answer. And uh, a lot of you did. So thank you very much. Uh, guys, you ready to answer some mail? Yes. All right. Uh, first one, uh, this is from at Operatic Plum on Twitter. Uh, this is a really interesting one, I thought. 
Do you think this Preds team would be performing better points-wise if they weren't in a small division with three of the best teams in the league? They wanted to say I, they can't help but wonder if expanding our options would make them look better. So I'm guessing what it is is, you know, if this was a normal schedule, would you see the Preds be playing any better as opposed to playing, you know, Tampa Bay every other week? Uh, yeah, I think they would be. I think they would be. And I don't know if they'd be playing better, but I think the results would be better. Um, you know, if you take a look at the the NHL standings, and I, I know it's going to be skewed because of the fact that they're only playing an isolated group across the board. Um, you know, you've got Tampa Bay in first, the Islanders in second, Carolina in third, Caps in fourth, Florida in fifth, Vegas in sixth, Toronto in seventh, Edmonton in eighth you have to get a long way before you start seeing the old central division start popping up. So, I, I mean, I think it'd be safe to say you would have some, some different results, but you know, when, when you're looking at it right now in the top five, you've got three of those central division teams, you've got Tampa Bay, you've got Carolina and you've got Florida. And uh, that, that makes it a lot harder. I think day in and day out to know that out of the seven other teams you're going to be facing three of them or a combined 24 of the games you're going to be playing are, are, taking up that high of a spot in the league. It's, it's pretty stiff competition. I mean, maybe the reason that some of those teams are doing so well is because the predators are playing. They've been not good this season. I, like, I, don't know you want me. Like, I was going to, I was going to ask that. Like I look at some of those teams up there. Like, do I really think Florida, like I look at their roster on paper, like, do I really think this is a top tier team? Like, no. Carolina, who do they have in net? Have they have they have they still gotten like a great goaltender yet that like makes them a contender? Like, no, they, they haven't. So really, I look at this division like, okay, the only complete team is still Tampa Bay. So maybe we're just making them look good because we've been losing. Yeah, I mean, that's, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> no, that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is like. I mean, I guess, I guess they, well, so here we go. This person that's, hold on, hold on. And the most damning part about that, Chicago's ahead of the Predators. Like, come on. How can you say the Predators would be so much better off if Chicago's better than you? That's where it all falls apart to me. Yeah. I also don't think many people picked Patrick Kane to be having an MVP caliber year. And I also don't think they picked Alex or um, Lincoln in to somehow be like the best goalie in the division this year outside of uh, Vasilevsky. Well, well, I think people also thought they'd have Kirby Doc. Yeah, Just they me. don't have Doc. They don't have Jonathan Tays. I mean, there's no reason they should be playing this good at all. But, you know, some sometimes all it takes is one uh, hot player to turn things around. So um, good for them. Well, this person uh, also had a follow up to that. They said on the flip side, do you think those teams like, and I think Bobby, you kind of touched on this on the flip side. Do you think like teams like Tampa Bay, like Florida, like Carolina would be doing as well record wise if they were in a different, you know, a normal scheduling circumstance. So not playing Detroit or Nashville every week. I think Tampa Bay, I mean, obviously Tampa Bay would be doing just fine. Um, I know. I don't think Florida would be playing as well. They're going to be going. Hey, I think part of the great thing for Florida this year also, and maybe why they're, uh, maybe a reason why they're doing so well, they're not flying north of the border from Miami all the time. Like their travel this year is so much better than it's been in 
any other season in recent memory. Oh, um, for sure. And I think that's something that's also greatly overlooked for these teams as well. Um, but, like, let's be real. The Leafs would be up there, too, in that division, right? Like, I mean, I'd, maybe Florida would could still be third based off of current form. Um, but nothing is screaming at me that, like, oh, yeah, Florida's way uh, – you know that they would they would be totally different in a, in a very different situation. I think you know they're beating up on a bad Nashville team. You know, here's the thing, and I, really this isn't so much about that question, but you know, Bobby, you made the comment that maybe it's just uh, the Blackhawks look good because the Predators are making them look good, but they've only played them twice and they beat them both times. So I don't know that that's necessarily fair. Um, you know, maybe some of the other bottom level competition that's around the predators is, is helping contribute to that as well. But, um, you know, yeah, I think you're probably spot on. I don't think Tampa Bay would have problem regardless of who they were in a division with. Um, and yeah, you know, the Leafs would probably have a pretty good season too. So I'm not sure that it makes much sense going the other way. Yeah. But you can like tell, like, I mean, how like sure we beat the Blackhawks twice, which is, you know, great, but, and also, I mean, easily compare us against, you know, we're only four points behind them. So it's not like a huge gap, but you can still compare them against us and say like, okay, well, the Hawks are at a minus 11 goal differential and uh, the Predators are at minus 26. It's a little bit, feels like a little bit more than a four point gap there in the differential there, but. Uh, True. You know, I don't, I, I, like, it's kind of like how you could differentiate like good teams from each other too. Like how, by how they play against like opponents necessarily. I don't know. Like in a head-to-head matchup, maybe the Predators beat Chicago, but overall, they're playing the same teams. True. This next question comes from our buddy uh, Kyle Perkins. What's up, Kyle? Uh, make your case for or against trying to keep Ryan Johansson through the expansion. Okay. I, I will gladly take that. I've actually talked to Kyle about this before. So um, here's the thing. When you're looking at this expansion draft, uh, I don't really know exactly which approach Nashville is going to take, but you have to look at it realistically is you have two centers that are taking up about $8 million a year apiece. And if you are somehow able to jettison one of those contracts without having to add a sweetener or, you know, hold on to any of that salary, um, you kind of have to look at that opportunity unless one of those guys suddenly starts commanding that $8 million a year. So if it comes down to, and I think everyone knows I'm also talking about Matt Duchesne, um, if, if you're looking at those two guys, you know, what would be the argument for keeping one over the other or, or keeping one of them um, protected over the other? And for me, it comes down to term. And of course, Duchesne has a much longer term, um, which I believe toward the end of that term turns into a no movement clause or a no trade clause. Uh, Johansson doesn't have that clause um, and his term in sooner. So you're looking at, do we get rid of someone who we pretty much know what we're getting? We know kind of within a certain set of parameters, what is needed to make him perform at a higher level. As you've seen, he thrives when there's youth around him, um, you know, does well in the playoffs unless he gets gruesomely injured. But uh, or, you know, do you want to say, let's hold on to somebody who's going to be around a lot longer. And, you know, again, like Johansson, you see a lot of positives on the ice that may not show up on the score sheet. And for me, if you have, to, if that's come down to one of them, I would say you protect Johansson solely on term alone. Yeah. In terms of Ryan Johansson, the expansion draft, I would absolutely try and get rid of him. 
<laughs> I think no. I think you've got the best chance. Like if you if going off of what John said, you got the, if you're deciding between Johansson and Duchesne, I think you're gonna have a lot better of an opportunity at trying to unload Johansson. Um, a because he's kind of first from the Seattle area. Like obviously he's from Vancouver, but it's two and a half hour drive away. Um, and I I think. You're just going to have better luck moving a guy like him. Um, as you mentioned, he's got a little bit less term, which is a reason to keep him. But it's also a reason why he's just going to be easier to move. Um, and while he's performed well in recent weeks um, with the youth that has been injected into the roster, I feel like I have seen enough of him over the last few years outside of the playoffs. We don't need an $8 million Colin Wilson. That's what Ryan Johansson Ooh. is. Ooh. And uh, I don't know if I'd go that Absolutely. Far. He's an absolute $8 million Colin Wilson. He'll be there in the playoffs, um, but he's never going to act. Like, he's accessed that gear in the last two weeks for whatever reason, playing with Ailey Tolvanen, which is great to see. But for me, just two weeks of great play doesn't make up for lackluster showings ever since the 2017 playoff run. I don't know how we follow the expensive Colin Wilson comment right there. <laughs> uh, but here, here's one way to follow it. Um, With another question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at beta set on Twitter, how many trades do you see happening from now till the trade deadline? So we talked about strategies, but this is just, I guess, putting us on the spot. So what trades do you see happening? I can see, like, I mean, a lot of, I, I think Nick Cousins is good as gone. Um, I would be surprised if Gramlin is still on the roster. Uh, at the end of the season, especially seeing Craig Smith walk for nothing last year, um, and, and obviously the team not being near a playoff spot. Well, I guess they're kind of near a playoff spot, but, you know, um, definitely not playing at a level that would be encouraging of them competing for one. Um, so I think those are two guys that I feel fairly confident will not be on this roster at the end of the season. I guess I'm, I, I would agree that it makes the most sense to move Granlin. I'm curious, um, you know, and maybe I'm just not paying enough attention or following close enough. Bobby, why do you, why are you thinking Nick Cousins is gone at the trade deadline? Uh, cause <laughs> for whatever reason, old, 60-year-old NHL GMs love players like Nick Cousins. They just do. And I just see him being gone. <laughs> that, that actually makes sense. I get it. <laughs> he's just the kind of guy that gets traded at the deadline. There's no real reason for it. He's just, like, he's just that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a guy that when you when your team picks him up, you're like, oh, hey, we got Nick Cousins. All right. And then you're, you know, well, why, wait, why, why are we excited about that again? What happened? But, you know, for the moment, it's exciting. And to the 60 year old GM, it sounds super good. So you're probably you'll, right. You'll see him um, in a couple of weeks playing penalty killing minutes in the Western Conference finals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that kind of guy. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I guess I, you know, Granlin for sure. I, I guess I can see the, the cousin situation making sense. Um, you know, personally, I, I don't want to lose Ekholm just selfishly. Um, I like what he brings to the team overall. I mean, not just on the ice, but as, as a member of the leadership team. So, um, you know, I would definitely 
want to figure out some way to keep him around. But, um, you know, I also, I also have to be realistic about the cap. And again, how many players can you realistically pay eight or $9 million a year when you've got a few guys who are getting paid that much and not really uh, earning it. So, um, you know, I don't know if now is the time to move at home. You, know, you still have a lot of value uh, next year. I see ways that you can protect him um, in the, <laughs> in the draft. So I don't want to get into that whole conversation now, but I think it's possible. So um, there's a chance that he could be gone. I know he has a lot of suitors. He could command a really, really high price right now. So uh, a lot of that just depends on what people want when the deadline comes around. Well, our last question, uh, it was kind of more of a discussion with the official Twitter than an official question, but it it comes from uh, our buddy, Corey uh, at shutdown line. Uh, really smart stats, dude. If you guys don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Don't have a Twitter. Um, well, if you're cool, go ahead and follow him. <laughs> um, uh, but Corey brought up the play of uh, Jeremy Davies, mm-hmm. and he wants to know um, how he compares to some of the other young defensemen the Preds have in the arsenal, specifically people like Carrier. Well, it would appear to me, and um, I want to just go on record and saying that as as much as Corey is a stats guy, that I am not necessarily a prospects guy, but that we do have some outstanding prospects people on the on the four check team. So most of what I know is going to come from them. And again, as as I learned the news of the PK Subban trade. Um, and I, I sat there in the middle of a once upon a child consoling my weeping daughter who had just lost her favorite player. Um, there was some bright side and that was that Eric was very, very excited about Jeremy Davies. And he, he was upset that we were referring to him as just some AHL defenseman. And he said, you know, this guy has a lot of upside. So um, I personally been very excited about Davies coming up solely based on that conversation and then seeing what he was able to do in Milwaukee. And I think it certainly speaks to the organization's confidence in him that they were able to bring him in and have him start quarterbacking the first power play unit on his his first game. Uh, That's a lot of confidence. And granted, there were a lot of injuries, but, um, you know, I I think he I think he has more upside than Carrier. Carrier may be um, closer to what he's going to be than Davies is. I think Davies still has some developing he can do. So I think you know, as that happens, whether it's at this level or at the AHL level, I think he's going to come in and be a, a bigger role player than Carrier would be. And Davies' development is pretty phenomenal. I mean, he was drafted in the seventh round at 192nd overall uh, by New Jersey. And uh, to see, first off, him getting the shot that he is in the AHL um, from the seventh round is just fun in and of itself. Um, but I think he definitely has a pretty solid game. Um, I'd like to see him drive play a little bit more. Um, but I think that's nitpicking for a guy who's played seven games in his career at the NHL level. Uh, but, you know, he, you know, he's looked good. And once again, you know, referencing expectations of young players, especially defensemen. Uh, he's a 24-year-old with seven NHL games under his belt. Eh, good for him. He's done well. I think it's I, I, I'm not going to pass judgment on some guy who's played seven games in the NHL unless you know, it's got like minus 30 or something. You're like, okay, well, 
No, oh, he's, we, he's we've had those well. players before. What? I said, oh, we've had those players before. We have. He's not one of them. He's done fine. He is not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like Jeremy Davis. I think he's going to be. Um, I think he, he's definitely going to have a spot in the NHL if he continues his development, if it goes on the right track. Um, you know, I would say maybe wouldn't mind seeing him next year if, if things are, are back to normal-ish, uh, at least starting the season in Milwaukee, just to kind of get that, uh, you know, maybe that year is the full number one under your belt. Um, but I, I do like his upside. I like his game. Uh, I think he's a little bit more well-rounded than some of the other young Predators defensemen. Um, like, yeah, I think Carrier is very high upside as a puck-moving defenseman. Um, but but I do like – I think Jeremy Davies is definitely the more well-rounded. Well, we have gone here for more than an hour so I think it's it's a good place to call it a uh, a stopping point. Yeah. Well, um, Bobby, why don't you tell everybody where I know you're not on Twitter, but where can the good people find your work? They can find it on the forecheck and nowhere else. Awesome. Ooh, exclusive. <laughs> That's right, Sean. Where can the good people find you? Well, you can of course find me at onthefourcheck.com. Uh, if you are a Twitter person, unlike our good friend Robert here, um, you can find me at SCSOTF. And I also am on the Renegades of Puck radio show every game day morning on WNSR. And I'm Nick Morgan. You can find my work on On the Forecheck. You can also find me on Twitter at underscore NS Morgan. Uh, all kinds of fun comments throughout the day. You won't want to miss out. Probably most of you will want to miss out. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll be back soon with another episode. Uh, also, uh, check out for our young child, Eamon Smith. He's got a um, another podcast dropping this week with a look ahead. Uh, also, an interview with, uh, speaking of college hockey, uh, Spencer Stastny, who's playing for Notre Dame, uh, that'll be dropping soon. So keep a keep a watch out for that. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs>